Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. We are going to be in chapter 8. Uh, we, I think we left off in verse 6 last time, so that's where we're going to pick up. We've gone through the, the vision so far that uh, John has where he had a a vision of the glorified risen Christ. And he was walking among the seven candlesticks, which are seven churches. And he has a word for each of those seven churches. And that's, the, that's Revelation 1 through 3. And then in Revelation 4 and 5, uh, John is caught up to heaven and he sees the throne of God and he sees the living creatures and the angels and all those things. And he sees how God is worshipped. He is our creator, and so he's worthy of all praise. He made us and everything in the world. Um, and then, of course, it really makes you appreciative of our great God when you realize that he's not only our creator in Revelation 4, but he's our redeemer in Revelation chapter 5. He alone, uh, Jesus is, he's the only one worthy, okay, to approach the throne and take the scroll from the Father, and he takes the scroll and he begins to open the scroll. It's sealed with seven seals. And we've looked at the seven seals, and that gets us through the first few verses of chapter 8. So that's just kind of background. That's kind of review of where we've been, and here we are in you know the about a third of the way through this wonderful book of Revelation in the Bible. And so tonight we're going to look at the first Four trumpets. There are seven trumpets, and there's so much going on, I just couldn't lay seven trumpets on y'all at one time, okay? <laughs> so we're going to look at the first four trumpets tonight, and um, as we do that, it reminds me of a story. I always love these good stories from history. Um, this one's about a hurricane warning. The date was September 21st, 1938. There was a hurricane uh, that struck the east coast of the United States. And William Manchester wrote about it in his book, The Glory and the Dream. And, you know, I could give you stats and all that about how big of a storm it was. But one interesting story that he shared in his book was this. Quote, among the striking storage, stories that later came to light, was the experience of a Long Islander, it was up in the Northeast, who had bought a barometer a few days earlier in a New York store. It arrived in the morning, posted September 21st, and to his annoyance, the needle pointed below 29. And that's where it reads, hurricanes and tornadoes. He shook it, he banged it against the wall, but that needle wouldn't budge. And he was frustrated, so he, he didn't think it was working. He packed it up, he drove to the post office, and he mailed it back. And while he was gone, his house blew away, Herman. <laughs> and that's the way we are sometimes when it comes to warnings from God. Uh, we can't cope with the forecast. We blame the barometer, or we ignore it, or we throw it away. We send it back. And I want us to be aware of that, that as we read the scriptures tonight, as we look at the first four trumpets, this is all about God warning the world. And I want us to, 
realize that we need to take the hint and listen to the warning. So on tonight's lesson, we're going to see why it's important to pay attention to a warning, especially when the warning is from God. So look, if you will, in Revelation chapter 8, verse 6. Uh, we just had the seventh seal, and then it says, And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. So we've just gone through seven seals, and each time something, each time a seal is open, something's going on. Now we have seven angels with seven trumpets, and we're going, uh-oh, what's going to happen next? Um, before we get there uh, to reading them and explaining them, let me sort of set this up. Uh, with a couple of comments. One comment I thought was really good. Uh, keep in mind that when you read Revelation, you're reading it chronologically. Chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and so on. But when you put together the events and the experiences, you're swinging back and forth like a pendulum. Okay. Uh, some people believe that the seals happen first, and the trumpets happen next, and they're two separate things. They're linear, like that happens, that's a different thing. This happens after that, and that's a different thing. But I want to I expose the fallacy of that. Uh, one commentator says, if the sun, moon, and stars are extinguished when the sixth seal is open, then how can the darkening of a mere third of their light take place later under the fourth trumpet? Good question. Uh, we conclude then that the trumpets, even though they're following the seals in John's vision, okay, as far as the order of his vision, they cannot follow them chronologically. So there again, there's two really different views of Revelation when people look at it. I, I could I could throw you a bunch of stuff, but I don't want to I don't want to do that. I want to simplify it for you and say that some people come to Revelation and they read it chapters one, two, three, four, five and they see it as a linear, linear timeline. This happens, then that happens, and they look at it literally, and so they, they just say that's, that's what's going to happen, and this is going to happen after that. There are others that look at Revelation and say, wait a minute, he is swinging back and forth, okay? And quite honestly, I think that is very consistent with John's writing style. You might say, what are you talking about writing style? Well, if you look at the Gospel of John, you will know that when you read the Gospel of John, that there are seven signs in the Gospel of John, right? The water, the wine, um, and uh, feeding the multitude with the bread and the fish, and, and uh, healing the blind man. There's seven signs in, Revelate, uh, in, in the Gospel of John, excuse me. And each time we learn something about Jesus, okay? He is the, uh, the great shepherd. He is the uh, the door, uh, he is the, the bread that came from heaven, the I am statements, okay? And when you read the Gospel of John like that, he's got this one main thought, and it's kind of like a spiral. He keeps going around the mountain. See, here's one sign. Then he goes around the mountain again. There's another sign. And he goes around the mountain again. There's a third sign. Almost like you were screwing a a screw in a piece of wood. You're just going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. When you read the first uh, epistle of John, 1 John, it's a short letter, five chapters, but if you look at the themes about darkness and light, love and hate, truth and error, um, things like that, he'll bring them up, 
he'll go on and then he'll come back and he'll, he'll go deeper on them. And so when I look at Revelation, I tend to see the same kind of style. He is talking about things that happen between the time that Christ ascended to heaven to the time that he will appear in the sky when he returns. And it seems to me that he's going back and forth like a pendulum. And every time he swings back, then when he lunges back forward, he gives you more than he did the, the last time. Okay? Um, but anyway, that's just wanted to set the stage for that. Uh, uh, this same commentator goes on and says this, which I think is a great point. He says, The breaking open of the seals shows what will happen throughout history up to the return of Christ with particular reference to what the church will have to suffer. Okay? And that is so true. When you go back and you look at the seven seals, you will notice that um, after the four seals are broken, things start happening in the world. But then the fifth seal is those that have been slaughtered because of the word of God and their testimony, and they're crying out underneath the altar there by God, how much longer? And then it goes on to the sixth seal and the seventh seal. And so the seals tend to pertain toward what's going to happen in the world throughout history uh, up until the return of Christ with reference to what the church will have to suffer. In contrast, the trumpets that we're going to start looking at tonight, they start again from the same point, declaring what will happen throughout history up until the return of Christ, but they are proclaiming a warning to the unbelieving world. So in a sense, you're getting two sides of of a coin, okay? Two sides of a coin. You will see this as we go through it. Um, <clears throat> with that said, uh, here's some more thoughts. Another commentator says, the trumpets do not follow the seventh seal chronologically, but only in order of the visions that John saw. He saw the trumpet visions after the seal visions. The trumpets are temporal recapitalization of the same time period pictured in the seals. Uh, but the the seals tend to focus on trials through which believers must pass, and now the focus on the trumpets is the judgment of unbelievers, and so you will see that. Um, one last thought. Let me read this one. Herschel Hobbes says this. Uh, With the sounding of the first four trumpets, events occurred which are mindful of plagues in Egypt. It should be noted that these events were judgments upon nature, in its fourfold aspect regarded by the ancients, land, sea, fresh water, and heavenly bodies. However, it should be kept in mind that all these judgments are symbolic in nature. As the plagues in Egypt were designed to make Pharaoh repent, so these various judgments were for the purpose of making all men repent and turn to God. And with that, let's dive in. Revelation 8, beginning in verse 7, the first angel blew his trumpet, and hail and fire mixed with blood were hurled to the earth. So a third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Now, this first trumpet, we see that there is hail and fire mixed with blood. That emphasizes a destructive character when you consider the blood mixed in with the hail and the fire. It is a judgment upon the land by God. Okay, uh, It says it's hurled to the earth. 
You know, if you go back and read the first uh, five verses of chapter 8 in that seventh seal, you will know that there's incense that's rising and uh, up into the presence of God uh, mixed with the prayers of the saints. And the angel takes that incense and that fire from the altar and hurls it to the earth. And so quite frankly, uh, after seeing what the church goes through, through the seals, those that have been martyred for Jesus Christ, those souls that have been slaughtered because of the word of God and their testimony, and in the fifth seal, they're crying out to God, how much longer? And then these uh, trumpet judgments are the answer to their prayers because you see things being hurled to the earth. God is the one that is judging the land. It is a partial judgment. What do I mean by that? Well, the biggest difference you're going to see between the seven trumpets here in the middle of Revelation and the seven bowls, which is the next thing, like we've just finished seals, now we're with trumpets. When we finally get through the seven trumpets, there are seven bowls, okay? I don't want to get ahead of myself, but let me just say this. The difference between the trumpets and the bowls, the trumpets are partial judgments. The bowls are complete judgment, okay? You'll see that when we get there. And so when it says that a third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, that is a partial judgment. And then remember that believers are sealed before the trumpet judgments take place. And uh, that is pretty awesome too. Uh, look in Revelation 7. I want to remind you of that. In Revelation 7, look in verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, restraining the four winds of the earth so that no wind could blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. Did you catch that part, any tree? Then I saw another angel rising up from the east who had the seal of the living God. He cried out in a loud voice to the four angels who were allowed to harm the earth and the sea. And here's what he said. Don't harm the earth or the sea or the trees. Now, I'm, I'm emphasizing trees because I want you to connect the dots here, okay? Don't harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we seal the servants of our God on their foreheads. What happens at the first trumpet? A third of the trees are burned up. Believers are sealed by God before that happens, okay? That's very important. Uh, what One of my points tonight is going to be as you go through Revelation, God always distinguishes the righteous from the wicked. Okay? Always has. Guess what? Always will. All right? Now, um, not only are believers sealed before the trumpet judgments take place, but remember what I said earlier about how these trumpet judgments parallel the plagues in Egypt during the day of Moses and Pharaoh? Well, here... One of the things in this uh, first trumpet is hail. And in Exodus, uh, I'm not going to read it, but I'll, I mean, I'll give it to you. In Exodus chapter 9, particularly verse 22 and 26, again, I'm not going to read that, but you know, if you want to write it down, you can. In Exodus 9, 22 through 26, it's the seventh plague. If you remember right, there were 10 plagues in Egypt, right? Before Pharaoh finally said, go. Well, the seventh plague was hail, and the hail damaged 
everything. It damaged the crops and all the vegeta vegetation and all that. And so this, this first trumpet is sort of a reminder of, hey, something like this kind of has happened before, okay? Um, look, if you will, at the second trumpet there in verse 8. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain ablaze with fire was hurled into the sea. Now, he didn't say it was a mountain. He said it was something like a great mountain, okay? Ablaze with fire, hurled into the sea. So a third of the sea became blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Again, it's something like a mountain. We don't know what it was. He's having a vision. He's describing the vision. He says it's something like a mountain on fire that just falls into the sea. Um, it symbolizes God's judgment upon the sea because that's the target of the second trumpet is the sea. And uh, it's a partial judgment, again, because a third of the sea and a third of the living creatures and a third of the ships were affected. Okay, Not 100%, but a third. So that's a partial judgment. And this judgment, the second trumpet judgment, parallels the first plague you remember the ten plagues in Egypt? The first plague in Egypt, found in Exodus 7, verse 20 and 21, was blood. You remember when Moses used his staff and the water of the Nile River turned to blood? People couldn't drink it. They couldn't use it. And wherever there was water in Egypt, it turned to blood. And so this is a throwback to that particular judgment. Then in verse 10, you have the third angel. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from heaven. It fell on a third of the rivers and springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood. So many of the people died from the waters because they had been made bitter. Now, this third trumpet starts something else. A great star uh, blazing like a torch falls where? From heaven, okay? So you get the source. This is coming from God, okay? Um, the name of the star has, an, has a name, Wormwood. And again, it's a partial judgment. Why? A third of the rivers and a third of the springs of water. It's not complete. It's a third, so it's a partial judgment. And many people, we don't know how many, but many people died from the waters because they were bitter. Um, again, that, that is something now that it's went from the land to the sea to the fresh waters, and now it's affecting people because now people are dying. And then you've got the fourth angel with the fourth trumpet in verse 12. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. I looked, and I heard an eagle flying high overhead, crying out in a loud voice, Woe! Woe! 
Woe to those who live on the earth because of the remaining trumpet blast that the three angels are about to sound. This fourth trumpet affects the heavenly bodies, specifically the sun, the moon, and the stars. And again, it is a partial judgment. I hope you've caught the theme, right? A third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, a third of the day without light, a third of the night without light. Um, what is going on here? Darkness, okay? Darkness. And that is a throwback to the ninth plague of the ten plagues that happened in Egypt. You can read about that in Exodus 10, verses 21 through 23, where there was a darkness that appeared over the land. And now you can see how, how vivid this really is. So what is going on here? We've got to put all this together. Um, like I said, there's three more trumpets, um, but we'll get to those when, when we get to them. Notice in verse 13, there's a transition statement. John says, I looked and I heard an eagle flying high overhead crying out in a loud voice, Woe! 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 Three woes. We got four trumpets down. How many left to go? Three. Three trumpets left. Guess what? Three woes. Okay? Woe! 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 To those who live on the earth because of the remaining trumpet blast that the three angels are about to sound. Now, when it says those who live on the earth, that's phrase there, the vernacular of it, he's talking to unbelievers, okay? If you're a believer, you're already sealed by God. Remember, we read that in Revelation 7. Believers are sealed before these trumpets are sounded, and so there's a difference there. <clears throat> Revelation 8.13, about this eagle crying out, whoa, 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 it is a transitional statement. It announces that the remainder of the cycle of trumpets will be devoted to examining these three woes that coincide with the last three trumpets. So we're put on notice that the final three trumpets will bring painful afflictions upon people of the earth. The first two will loudly trumpet the final judgment, and the third trumpet that follows, which is actually the seventh trumpet, Will, will be the final judgment. As one, as one uh, commentator says, the last three trumpets are grouped together as three woes. These plagues explicitly discriminate between the righteous and the wicked, as did the plagues in Egypt. If you remember the plagues in Egypt, when something happened, it didn't, it didn't affect the Israelites that were there in Goshen. Okay, It didn't affect them. And you're going to see that in the next couple, three weeks when we go through the fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpet. You're going to see that distinction between the righteous and the wicked. So let's take a minute, get our breath, all right? And let's try to put all this together. What, what does this mean? Because we could keep going, but let's kind of think about why this is important. I'm going to say that we can learn three lessons from these first four trumpets. Number one is God warns people of judgment. Okay, Aren't you glad he does? God warns people of judgment. You think about God's track record. Um, 
before he decided to judge Nineveh, what did he do? He sent Jonah. And then Jonah went and he preached. He basically said, you know, turn or burn, right? I mean, he says, if you don't repent in 40 days, God's going to destroy this place and wipe it off the map. And what happened? They repented. And so what did God do? God said, I'm not going to judge them. They repented. If you go back to Sodom and Gomorrah, um, even the Lord himself came down after talking to Abraham. He came down to see if it was as bad as he had heard. Now, that's kind of funny, right? Because we know that God knows everything. But he came down to see for himself and he made sure that Lot was removed before he judged Sodom and Gomorrah. And so God warns people of judgment. And I'm so glad he does. You know, we have warnings every day, don't we? Uh, if you have a security system in your home, you have a warning. Uh, when you get in a vehicle to come to church, uh, if you have one of those little lights that pops up on your dash, you might ought to pay attention to it because it's saying, hey, you need to do something before this thing gets worse, right? We all have all kinds of warning systems. Pain in our bodies is a warning system that, hey, something doesn't feel good, it's not quite right, you need to get this taken care of before it gets worse. So God warns people of judgment. And I'm so glad, aren't you? Because let's be honest, on our really bad days, if we were honest, we'd say, boy, if I was God, I would just push that little button and boom, done, gone. Don't have to worry about it anymore. Kind of like an easy button. Remember that commercial, Herman? Just, just push the button. It's over. But God is so long-suffering, okay? He, he, he warns us. He sends us uh, multiple warnings because He wants us to hear Him. He wants us to turn from our sin. He wants us to trust and follow Him. And so God warns people of judgment. A second lesson we learn from these first four trumpets is that God can use disasters and creation to get our attention. I don't know. I, I kind of like history. I don't read it as much as I used to. But I will say it's very interesting if you ever have a chance to read some of the older history books about our country, not the new stuff today that is revisionist history, where they rewrite history to, to sort of serve their own narrative of where they want to take us. But when you go back and you look at 100 years ago and 200 years ago, and you look at the, the great leaders of our country then, when something happened, they might call people to pray. They might call people to fast. They might do different things like that. Whenever an act of God happened, you know, like a horrible storm or a hurricane or a tornado, they considered it an act of God, and they paid as much attention to what is God trying to tell us as they did cleaning up the mess and moving forward. Today, do we do that? I wish we did, but as a country, we don't, do we? What I'm trying to say is this. God uses disasters in creation to get our attention. I believe this is right. I hope I'm not misspeaking here. I, I know I'm telling it right, but I don't know if I'm getting it connected to the right event in history. But I know when Hurricane Katrina happened, okay, and that's been over a decade ago, but when Katrina happened, 
I remember that um, the, the media had on, um, I believe it was um, Billy Graham's daughter, um, Graham Lotz, what's her, I can't remember her first name, Elizabeth maybe, Elizabeth Graham Lotz, can't remember her first name, Billy Graham's daughter, and uh, they asked her what she thought, and she goes, well, you know, our country has took uh, God out of public schools, we want to remove the Ten Commandments, we want to do this, we want to do that, and then when something bad happens, we expect him to do something. She says, God is a perfect gentleman. If you don't want him, he will let you alone. And I thought, wow, uh, that might not be something people want to hear, but it still has a ring of truth to it. God uses disasters in creation throughout the world to get our attention. I don't believe he's being mean. I don't believe he's being vindictive. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. But he is using disasters to get our attention. Why is he doing these things in the first four trumpets with uh, a third of this and a third of that being destroyed and a third of this and a third of that? He's trying to say to the world, wake up, pay attention to the warning signs, turn around and get things right before it's too late. The third lesson that we can learn from these first four trumpets, and this is the most powerful to me, it's that God distinguishes the righteous from the wicked. Okay, In the first trumpet, the, a third of the trees were burned up. But as I read earlier in Revelation 7, the first couple of verses there, none of that could happen until the believers were sealed by God. See, God always distinguishes the righteous from the wicked. That question is as old as Abraham and Lot. If you remember the story I was alluding to uh, earlier, in the book of Genesis, um, three visitors come to Abraham one day, and he recognizes that one of them is the Lord. And that's when he finds out that a year later, he and Sarah will have a son. Not just him, but, but the, the parents of this special child are going to be Abraham and Sarah. Okay, and uh, she's in the tent laughing. You know the story. And the Lord says, is she laughing? Oh, no, no, I didn't laugh. And he, he goes, it, it's, it's such a funny story. I don't have time to read it. I'm just telling it. But the Lord basically says, you're going to name this boy Isaac. Because the word Isaac, the name Isaac means laughter. So God got the last laugh. But during that special visit, as they're fixing to leave, the Lord says, shall I tell Abraham what I'm about to do? And of course, Abraham is very attentive. Lord, what's, what's going on? I've heard the cry, and it is great to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and I want to come for myself and see just how bad it is. And immediately, Abraham begins to pray because his ears perk up. Sodom and Gomorrah, that's where Lot's at, his own nephew. And he says, oh, Lord, would you judge the city if there were 50 righteous people? And then he keeps going down, 50, 40, 30, 20, 10. Finally, he's like, you know, 10 righteous people. If you can find 10 righteous people, will you spare the city? 
But within that story, Abraham leverages a charge against God. He says, will the Lord of all the earth do right? Surely you're not going to judge the righteous with the wicked. If there are this many people of righteous, will you spare the city? That was the whole uh, thread of his argument, is won't you distinguish the righteous from the wicked? And of course, the short answer is, of course. And as you read through the entire Bible, it's that way. Even when Jesus talks about judgment, he talks about what? The sheep and the goats. That, that at the great final judgment, there's going to be two kinds of people, the sheep or the goats. Those who are saved, those who are lost. The, the righteous and the wicked. And God is going to distinguish the two. That's what heaven and hell is all about. And so when you begin to get into Revelation and you look at these trumpet judgments, those trumpets announce something. They're warnings to the world. You better get right. Because D-Day, Judgment Day, is coming. God distinguishes the righteous from the wicked. And with that said, that's where I want to end and close tonight. How will you respond to God's warnings? When God speaks to you, do you listen? When God speaks to you, you need to get this right. Do you listen? Because let me tell you, we're going through this life, we got one shot. That's all we got, one life. And every day, every week, every month that we say, maybe later. Every time we say, not right now. We're making it a little bit harder to say yes to God in the future. Because our hearts are not neutral. We either say yes to God and we become more conformed to His image, or we say no to God and our heart gets just a little harder. And what I'm saying to you tonight is I'm trying to spare you from that. God separates the righteous from the wicked in the end. And you and I need to heed the warning from God. You know, when I got saved as a young teenager, we didn't have a pastor at the time. We had an interim pastor, Brother Bob Elliott. And uh, he was preaching about the second coming of Christ. And he was talking about at the last trump and then the archangel and then there he is in the sky. Are you going to be ready? Are you going to be ready for the Lord when he returns? Because if you're not ready when he returns, I hate to tell you, it's too late. That's why now is the time. Today is the day. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today, if you hear His voice, today is the day of God's favor. Today is the day of, of salvation. If you hear God speaking, say yes to Him and trust and follow Him. How will you respond to God's warning? It's my prayer that you'll say yes before it's everlasting too late. Well, let's pray. Father, we come before You tonight. Thank You for this word from the scriptures Lord as we think about the future judgment that's going to happen Lord we're thankful that you care enough about all people that you want to warn the world you want to give them every possible opportunity 
to turn from their sin and trust and follow you before it's everlasting too late. Lord, it's my prayer tonight. All those that are here, all those that are listening, Lord, I pray that they would turn and trust and follow you before it's everlasting too late. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.